0: Would you please turn in your Bible this morning to Romans chapter 6, as we're continuing to just slowly make our way through these incredibly profound, important words uh, in the first 11 verses. We're going to be focusing this morning on verses 6 through 11, but again, we're going to be spending a lot of time in verses 6 and 7 themselves. As we think about identity and the Christian life identity in the Christian life. Let's begin again at verse 1 of chapter 6. As Paul begins to talk about God's work of transforming us and how that that works, let's begin at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means... Father, we believe that these words are life. This is from the very mouth of God. And we ask today, then, that you, by your Spirit, give us attentive ears and hearts to receive it, to believe it, to be transformed by it. And we give you the praise and thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> In his best-selling book, Atomic Habits, a James Clear, the author, argues... Uh, that personal transformation begins with identity. So if you want to change something in your life, Clear will argue that you first need to change how you think of yourself, how you see yourself. Um, I think most of us, if not all of us, would would have something that we would like to change about ourselves. If, If we would go around the room, people would give different answers. I'd like to lose some weight. I'd like to be more productive. I'd like to be more, um, just more active or be a better spouse or a better parent. And Clear um, says that there are three levels of behavior change that can be viewed as concentric circles. So if you think about the outside circle, that would be the level of outcomes, um, that uh, the outcome is the result you want to see, and then the, the middle circle is this, the, uh, the level of processes, the the habits or behaviors that you're going to need to adopt if you want to get the results you desire. But at the middle, at the core, is is identity, how you perceive yourself. And Clear argues in his book that most people start at the wrong end when they want to uh, make some change in their life. They start with the level uh, outcome level. They, They decide they want to change a specific thing. I For instance, I want to lose 30 pounds. Uh, But he points out that outcome-based efforts to change invariably fall short. And, And the reason is that at some point, your native and lifelong desire for ice cream is going to overcome your recently professed desire to lose 30 pounds. The same thing, a similar thing happens when people focus on process. Change just through process. So people want to lose some weight, they go to and they sign up at the gym down the road and they make a plan that they're going to work out four days a week and they're going to get up at this time and make sure that happens or people want to be more productive and so they they make a new work schedule and they block out times where they're going to be uninterrupted and they're going to to really get a lot done. People want to improve their marriage so they decide they're going to have a date night every Friday night. Uh, Those are all great ideas but But they're focused on the process, and and process-focused change also tends to fall short, as I'm sure you've noticed, right? After a few months, that gym membership goes unused. They're counting on it. That's the business model. Uh, The new work schedule soon becomes, well, the old work schedule. And your Friday night dates, uh, that was a great idea, and you did maybe one or two, but it's just fallen by the wayside. Well, I mention all that because Christians often make the same mistakes when we attempt to grow as Christians. Uh, we'll decide that there's some behavior that we want to change. We want to stop doing this behavior and start doing this behavior. We want to stop becoming so angry or stop being impatient or stop looking at pornography. Uh, these are things that we recognize don't belong in our life, and, and so we decide uh, we're, we, we, need to, we need to get rid of these things, and we need to introduce new things, and so we'll focus on the outcome. And maybe we'll go to the second level and focus on the process and decide we're going to have to start doing devotions every day. We're going to need to read through the Bible. We're going to need to get involved in in this um, small group. And again, those are all very good things. But how many of us haven't experienced the same results that people experience when they try to make other external changes in their life? Clear's argument is that behavior imitates identity, and so that if you really want transformation, there needs to be a change in identity. You have to begin to think of yourself in a different way and then begin to do small things that evidence that change. And I think that's very uh, helpful to think about the Christian life. Notice as Paul talks about, begins to talk about sanctification here in chapter 6, He does not begin by talking about processes, what you need to do. He doesn't talk about outcomes. What he talks about is identity. He spends the first 10 verses of chapter 6 just talking about identity. This is who you actually are in Christ Jesus. This is what is true of you, objectively true about you, by faith in Christ and union with Christ. The first command in chapter 6 doesn't show up until verse 11, and it is a command concerning identity. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have to think about yourself in this way. You have to understand this to be true about yourself. It's your God-given identity in Jesus. This is who you are. And only then, after just laying down that foundation of identity, does Paul begin to talk about process. Verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And so today we're going to look at just this this basic issue of identity. Who are you as a Christian? Who are you? In verse 11, Paul tells us who we are. You are dead to sin and alive to God. Now, I realize that may, may sound a little underwhelming to you. It might not hit you with um, great impact. It might not feel to you to be the secret to transformation. And, and, and as I was thinking about this, because I, I read this and I, and I had the same experience myself, and I, I was thinking, well, Maybe the problem is we, um, when we think about transformation, we're thinking about the wrong thing. So so if you just want to lose some weight or be more organized to become a better parent, have a better marriage, if you just want a a better version of your current self, well, then maybe this isn't going to be that helpful. Maybe if you just if you just are looking for a slightly better version of your current life, you could probably find what you're looking for at, in the self-help section of your local bookstore. They've got all sorts of tips about how to do those sorts of things. You see, this is for people who want bigger things, much bigger things. It, this is for people who sense the reality and the horror of evil, real evil in the world and in your own heart. And, and, and people who, who desperately want to be freed from the power of evil. Free from its perversion. Free from its, its enslaving power. Flee, free from its penalty. Because you see, at the end of the day, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who have been rescued from evil and those who have not. That's it. And so this is for those who desperately want to be rescued from evil. This is for people who realize that the world is in bondage to sin, in bondage to death, and it's for people who want to live. You want to live really and truly, not just in this life. You want to live forever. You want everything. This is for people who are frustrated with their weakness and grieve their sin because they're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That you find within yourself, you want to live like an actual Christian. You'd like to live like someone who who really does believe the things that you profess and and is finding that the power of God through the Holy Spirit is engaged in your life so that you're being transformed. Transformed. Not just into a slightly better version of your current self, but you're being transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, well, then Paul has great news for you. The, the great gospel news is that God in Jesus Christ has already made you a new person and in, a, in, a, in a much more radical and profound way than you can imagine. And the fact that you're already dead to sin and alive to God means that transformation for you is not just possible, but it's a necessity. It's going to happen. The work that God has begun, He's going to carry on to completion. It's inevitable. And you're going to be transformed to a degree greater than you ever would have dreamed. That's God's purpose for you. And so this morning, we're just going to lay hold of who we are in Christ. And I'm just going to focus on the two things that Paul talks about dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin and alive to God. Last week, we talked about the fact that every Christian, every true Christian, has had a true death experience. That when Paul says that we were baptized into Christ's death and buried with Jesus Christ, it wasn't a metaphor, it's not a parable, it's not just a word picture. It's objective truth, it's a fact. This is what happens by faith when we're united to Jesus Christ. And now in verse 6, Paul is going to begin talking about the ramifications of that fact. What does it mean and and what is now true of you because you've been buried, crucified and buried with Jesus Christ? And we find Paul's answer in verses 6 and 7. If you have your Bible, I would just like you to to pay attention because there's a flow to the argument here. Paul's going to say something happened in order for something else to happen so that something else might happen. Let's look at it. Something happened. We know that our old self was was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And so there's just a very simple outline there. Something happened, we were crucified with Christ in order for something else to happen so the body of sin might be done away with so that the ultimate thing might happen, we might be no longer enslaved to sin. Let's just break that down. Our old self was crucified with Christ. A better translation of old self would be old man. Our old man, our former man. And we need to understand what Paul think, uh, how Paul understands this because it's a place where Christians often get confused. People commonly think of the old man or old self as their sin nature, what the Bible would call their, their flesh, what Paul calls the flesh. And so when, when Paul says that we, that old self was crucified with Christ, it died, well we can get confused because it doesn't feel like it died. It feels very active, very much alive. Well, Paul doesn't mean that our sin nature died. In verse 12, he's going to talk about sin wanting to reign over you. It's very much alive. In, in chapter 7, he's going to talk about how he finds in his own life this, this, this principle of sin so that when he wants to do good, sin is right there. And he finds that he ends up doing not the good that he wants to do but the evil that he does not want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me, he says, from this body of death. That, that's what Paul is talking about here. The, Sin is uh, there is a sin nature that is that is alive and well, and that means, listen here, that means if you're struggling with sin this week, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean you're not serious enough. If you're struggling with sin, if you're battling with sin this week. That's the Christian life. The unbeliever doesn't struggle with sin. He just embraces it or or maybe tries to modify it a bit, but he's not battling it. If you're battling with sin, you're doing it exactly right. So what did die with Christ? What did die? And Paul says the old man. And the old man, you see, is the native man, the the man that was born in sin, born under the law of God, born at enmity with God, born under the condemnation of the law of God. That's who we were in Adam. That's who we are by nature. That's the native self. All those things were the realities that belonged to us in Adam. That was our identity, Remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in in the ways that you used to walk following the prince of the power of the air by nature, children of wrath. That is man's identity in Adam. It's who he was. It's who he is. That's who we were in Adam. But Paul says that man died in Christ. That when Jesus Christ was on the cross, atoning for our sin and raised again in power from the grave, we were brought out of our bondage to Adam and, and all the, the, uh, the things that belong to the realm of Adam sin, death, judgment, condemnation. We died to all of that. And we're brought into the new realm of life in Christ and with Christ. Our Adam self died with Jesus. That is good news. Your Adam self died with Christ. And you're never going to go back to it. You're you're dead to it. Now, what difference does that actually make? Paul tells us. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And again, when Paul talks about the body of sin, he's just talking about this this nature where that, that seems to have infected our body because it's with our body we, we sin. We sin with our mind. We sin with our, with our mouth and our eyes and ears and hands and feet. Sin is somehow at work in and through our body. So Paul in, in Romans 7 will call it the body of death. And, and he's not saying, you know, material is bad, body is bad. He's just saying the sin has impacted and infects us in this very physical way. And you know what this feels like. This is what you wrestle with. You wrestle with what your eyes see and what your, what your heart feels, the anger and, and, and what your mouth does with gossip and, and the lust that, that, is, that, that clings to you. you. You know how all of these sins... They just they cling to you, they feel like a part of you. It it feels like your identity. It's not. Paul says it's it's the body of sin. In fact, we're going to get to one of these days, chapter seven, where Paul will say twice, so if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. That Paul has made a such a A line of demarcation concerning identity that he understands. I do not belong to sin, and sin does not belong to me. I belong to Jesus. I am in Christ, and so when I find that that sin nature in me, I can say it's not me. that's sin that dwells within me. Now we don't want to go running off into that. Say you know that means we're no longer guilty. It's not true, but but it does mean we're no longer condemned. Doesn't mean we're no longer enslaved. We'll talk about that in a moment. Paul just here is saying that the body of we died to our Adam self in Christ, so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And what that means is your that sinful nature that you wrestle with, it's, it's being drained of its power. It's going to be brought to complete fruitlessness. It's already a defeated foe and one day it's going to be cast aside forever. Your sin is not going to win. Your sin is not going to win. It cannot win. You will become increasingly righteous. You will grow in holiness because you see it's who you are. You are no longer in Adam, you are now in Christ. And the life that you live now, you're going to be living to God by the power of God Himself. That's, that's tremendous encouragement. I'm sure every Christian has had the experience of, of, of feeling like, I just don't think this is going to work. I seem to fall into the same thing over and over and over. Or if it's not into this thing, I, I, I got this one beat. And then right around the corner, here's the next thing that's just as difficult or, or, or more so. We just need to, we need to hear who we are and understand this is what is true of us. The body of sin is going to be brought to nothing. You are one day going to walk completely free of every vestige of sin. You are by God's own promise. You see, it's how, we, it's how we should do winter here in Michigan, right? Winter, uh, it's fun. I find it fun. December, January, February. By March, it's no longer fun. But when you take a, a long walk, right, on a cold March blustery day and there's still snow and there's still ice, you should walk with a smile on your face. Because you know that there's a great irresistible power at work in the world that guarantees the death of snow and ice. The earth is turning on its axes every single day a little bit more. And so we are turning towards the sun and towards heat and warmth a little more every single day. And there's nothing snow and ice can do about it. It cannot last, it cannot stand. It's a defeated foe. And that's exactly how we should feel about ourselves as we're fighting this war with sin. Is the, is the battle hard? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. Frustrating? Absolutely. Heartbreaking? It absolutely is. If you're a Christian, I'm, I'm sure there's times you're just brought to tears at your stupidity and your sin and, 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 the, and the, the, the evil that comes out of your mouth or or in your mind, or hands, whatever it might be, in light of all that Christ has done for you. It's all of those things. But it is being brought to nothing. You can say to your sin, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. The atoning death and victorious resurrection of Jesus, as objective facts, guarantees that your body of sin will one day be gone forever. That's incredibly good news. And that has present-day ramifications. So that, Paul continues, we would no longer be slaves to sin. By virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, you are already right now set free from the enslaving power of sin. Set free in several ways. You're set free from the well, from the power of sin in the sense that you have a new ability to say no. When you were in Adam, you were in bondage to sin. And so the devil might give you the freedom to say no to this sin, but he just did that so he can drag you over into this next one. And when it comes to saying no to your pride and your self-reliance, your self-will, you don't have any power to say no to that. Not in Adam. But when you became a Christian and were united to Jesus Christ, you have this brand new ability in Jesus to say, no. You can tell the devil to take a hike. You have the authority to do that. You have the right to do that, to resist him. You have the ability to tell your flesh, shut up and settle down. No. I belong to Jesus. I am in Christ. And when you stumble and fall into sin and the devil says, well, you might as well just, just keep at it. Now that you've gone this far, you say, no, I don't belong here. I don't belong to this. This is not who I am. I'm a child of God. I have been united to Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And that means that I'm walking out of here, out of here. Today, a bit by bit, and one day in full glory, we're free to resist, and we're free from its condemnation. You know, people can resist sin to some degree, right? A, a strong-willed person can, can say, you know, I'm, I just don't want to be that kind of guy that, that, that lies and steals and, and, and sleeps around. Uh, I, I'm just not going to be that guy. And, and a strong-willed person can make those decisions. But there's not a single person that can escape the condemnation of sin you might be able to resist some of its attraction and see through some of its lies but you're not going to resist its condemnation if you've sinned uh, you're under the condemnation of the law, you are under the power of sin and death and you cannot possibly possibly, free yourself well the Christian has been set free you've been placed beyond the grasp and reach of sin that's, a really, that's an amazing thought Think of the sins that you've committed. Omission and commission. Everyone deserving condemnation. And yet you can confidently say, there is now no condemnation for me in Christ. That's what Paul means when he says, anyone who has died has been freed from sin. It doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. Chapter 7, he's going to show that's just not, not what he means at all. We do struggle with sin. What he means is that we're free from its, its damning power. And we know that's what he means because the word that Paul uses here that's translated set free, anyone who has died has been set free from sin, the, the Greek word is actually the word for justification. Anyone who has died has been justified from sin, has been uh, acquitted, has been declared righteous beyond the reach of the law. So Morris says in his commentary, a slave who dies is done with his master. It's free of him. And those who die with Christ are acquitted from their old master, sin. Sin has no claim on the justified person, just as the law has none on the one who has died. Sin has no claim on the justified person. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. No one. You see, if you're a Christian, you have entered into a brand new relationship with sin. It is an already defeated foe, both in its power to enslave you and to condemn you, and you're free to battle it with the joyful knowledge that you will conquer Why? Well, because that's who you are. It's your identity. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It's what it means to be a Christian that's been united to Jesus Christ by faith. You have died to sin. You're not in the same relationship to sin that you were before you came to Christ. You are in a conquering position when it comes to your sin. You are in a justified position when it comes to you and your sin. It doesn't belong to you. You do not belong to it. And you are free to begin to walk then in the newness of life that you have in Christ. We're dead to sin and alive to God Let's look at that secondly. We are alive to God, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Just notice that gospel transformation happens at the individual level by two things. The first and most important thing is it happens by union with Christ. It happens by union with Christ, and so Paul, he's just got our our mind, our eyes glued to Jesus. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll be raised with Christ. He wants to see the things that happened to Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead and Jesus cannot die again. Death has no mastery over Jesus because he died, when he died, he died to sin once and for all. And the life that he now lives, he lives to God. He you wants you, want you to see Jesus, Jesus. These are the things that are objectively, objectively and irrefutably and unchangeably true about Jesus. But Paul says... They're also objectively true about us by union with Christ. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. These are things that are objectively true of us. That's the the entire argument. This is why we can live in a different way. This is why we can have confidence and assurance and joy as we we walk this pilgrim road and, and fight this battle of faith so that The way transformation happens personally and individually is is to remember our union with Jesus Christ, and then secondly, to believe it. So Paul says, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe. It's a critical word. We believe that we will also live with Him. How do you step, you see, how do you step into a new identity? No matter what you're trying to do, if you're trying to lose weight, right, and you want to, you want to identify as a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who works out. I'm a person who eats responsibly. I'm a person who, um, who is 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 moving forward on this this path of health. How do you step into that identity? Well, the first thing is you have to you have to believe that to be true, and then and then start doing things that are in keeping with that truth. Well, Paul just wants us. Understand, if, if we're going to step into the identity of a Christian, I am a Christian, I am in Christ, Well, you, we have to believe it, we have to receive it, which is why he says, consider yourself. It's a command. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. John Piper says, this is how we consciously experience the benefits of union with Christ. We believe them. We bank on them. We rest in them and are satisfied by them. We don't let it just be a truth that we hear on a Sunday morning and it sort of flits around in our mind and then drifts off as we get back to our real life. We begin to understand that this is, this is at the center of who we actually are if we are a Christian. Something profound and radical has happened to us by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ. And we begin to think of ourselves, you see then, according to our union with Christ, that our life is actually in truth, hid with Christ in God. And that in Jesus, no matter how sin might be devilous, in Jesus the truth is we've died to it. To it's power to condemn us. It's power to enslave us and that we are actually in truth alive. We're really actually alive, like with eternal life, the life that comes from God. And that means that death has no hold on us any longer. It has no more hold on us than it has on Jesus himself. That our passing from this world is simply a passing into the glory of his presence and the glory of the world to come. And the life that we live now, we live to God. We live depending on God. The life that we live now, we, we live seeking the glory of God. The life we live now, we live believing that we belong to God. Christian, this is your identity. It's what it means to be a Christian. It's who you are. And Paul says... We need to believe it. You need to claim it. Take this to yourself as your core identity. Who are you? Who who are you? You realize that we walk around this world with, with all sorts of false identities clinging to us. Maybe some of you are walking around with the identity you got from your dad when you were six years old and he he yelled at you or made some cutting remark statement about you and, and that's been the identity you're actually living in ever since. Maybe it's things that kids used to say about you at school. Maybe it's something a boss said. Maybe it's something a spouse once said. Maybe it's something that your own conscience has been telling you for all your life. You're a loser. You're a fraud. You're a failure. You're never going to mount to anything. If people really knew what you were like, right, they'd be aghast. All these false identities talking to you, and yet. Those are the identities that we live out of and that we walk according to. And, and Paul is saying a Christian is someone who bans and bars all those false identities to lay hold of this actual true one. This is who you are. It doesn't matter what your dad said about you. It's not who you are. It doesn't matter what the kids in school used to say. It's not who you are. It's not what your coworkers say. It's not what your spouse says. It's not what your own conscience says. It's not who you are. You're a Christian. If you've come to Jesus Christ in faith, you are a Christian. You are in Jesus. You belong to Him. And the things that are true of Him are true of you. It's who you are. Would you please believe it? Would you please believe it? And lay hold of it, take it to yourself. You're not who the devil says you are, who the world says you are. You're not who your conscience says you are. You are who God says you are. You're a Christian. You are in Christ. You are dead to sin. You are eternally alive to God. That's who you are. Brothers and sisters, let's believe it and trust that God will continually transform our life until we are finally and gloriously in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. It must happen because it's who we are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know how... So many of us have lived and are living according to false identities. And there's been so much sin and so much shame and so much weakness and failure that's come out of those false beliefs. And Father, I thank you that you speak today the truth about who we actually are. We're new creations. We are more than conquerors. We are children of God. We are heirs of heaven. These are things that are objectively true by virtue of our faith in Christ and union with Christ. And Lord, I pray that that true identity would then begin to powerfully transform the way that we live so that we would live as husbands and wives according to who we are in Christ. And that we would, we would go to work according to who we are in Christ and that we would think about money and, and sex and entertainment according to who we are in Jesus Christ and what is ours in Him and what it means to be alive to God, what it means to be free. Oh, Father in heaven, I, I, I pray that we would experience the power of this truth. And Lord, again, if there are any here this morning who... Realize this is not true of them today. Lord, please give them a a hunger that this would become their truth in Christ. And we give you the thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just respond by giving thanks to God for the one who's redeemed us from our sin and our death and condemnation and has brought us to life. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. the blessing the Lord God gives to his children. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.